I'm Tyreek. Avery. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. Tyreek, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I am Tyreek. I make video games, music sometimes, and you can find them online. But you'll have to wait until the end of the episode for me to actually tell you where to find my stuff. No URLs, but uh, does UFO 50 have a release date? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. It's coming along, though. It's coming along. And I would like to plug using lowercase l's in place of i's. Uh, I do it a lot, <laughs> and no one has noticed. Oh, as a dyslexic, this is like the bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> They're the same. They're the same, as long as you don't have a serifed font. They're exactly the same. Historians are going to, like, pour over your works, and this is going to be, like, considered your most important work. I mostly do it, uh, like, when I'm, like, texting on the phone, because, you know, I don't have to do, like, the, the single-click shift and then go to I. I can just type a lowercase l without having to without having to hit shift at all. And so, like, yeah, whenever if you ever see me, see, see a message from me online... Uh, you won't know whether whether I was, uh, you know, whether I was being lazy that day or not, <laughs> unless you like copy the character, all the, all of my all capital I's and then paste them into a different program. Have you considered that autocorrect might be changing your L's to I's and you would never find out? Well, I usually turn autocorrect off because okay. autocorrect auto capitalizes things. Yeah. If I was satisfied with with the auto capitalization effects of autocorrect, then I would leave it on and then I would just use lowercase i's that would get converted into capital i's. But Yeah. I don't usually do that. I usually turn autocorrect off and then I am left to the whims of chaos of my fingers. I used to use all lowercase when typing chatting online because people who use uppercase are cops <laughs> but i stopped doing that basically it was when i got a phone that automatically capitalized shit for me and i was just like whatever <laughs> first i had a struggle to learn cursive but like no first i had a struggle to learn capitalization that brought me to tears then i had a struggle to learn cursive that brought me to tears and i had to do it because in grade school and in junior high no just in grade school they were like if you don't if you're not able to write cursive by the time you reach junior high no one's going to accept your work people are going to throw things at you and call you stupid and like everyone's going to hate you because you don't know cursive and then when i got to junior high the teachers were like nobody use cursive we can't read your handwriting in cursive no one uses cursive please stop writing stuff in cursive and now when i reach adulthood nobody's using punctuation nobody's using like all of this stuff that i suffered so hard to to figure out is all has all been thrown overboard. Yeah, it turns out, well, okay, so they, they couldn't have predicted that, but teachers definitely lie to you to get you to, to, to get you to do things they want you to do. Yes. It was the, it was the first big disappointment of my, of my life. It was my own personal Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> my own personal Kennedy assassination. Uh, that's when the nation lost its innocence. Would you like to introduce, or did, did you just introduce yourself? I did. No, no, that was my introduction. Avery hasn't. Avery hasn't done anything yet. I'm introducing Tyreek. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm Avery, but you know that. I do know that. What are we doing uh, here? Okay, Tyreek. Your topic is Adam, father of all humankind, was maybe a giant. I heard, I heard uh, uh, this, I think on like a, like a uh, podcast recently, it was like kind of mentioned in passing that like there are some branches of like not just Christianity, but like also like I think uh, Islam and Ju Judaism and that sort of thing. Like there are certain like texts here and there that you can find that sort of vaguely allude to the idea of Adam and Eve being giant people. 
Yeah. Like most frequently I see like 15 or 18 feet tall or something like that. But then like it was also kind of suggested that they might might have been like leagues tall or, or you know, just like enormous, enormous people. Wow. When you say um, frequently, where, where are you seeing this written down? Oh, well, see, that's the thing though. Is it's like I, I haven't quite like found a ton of like people who like super believe it necessarily. Like when I look it up, it's mostly just allusions to the fact that other people believe it. And then like like the the people like trying to dissuade people from believing this but i haven't found any like it's 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 always like like i'll I'll like search like we're adam and eve giant and it'll be like a bunch of people saying no adam and eve weren't giant (laughs) but i wonder like i i haven't quite exactly found like where the initial assumption came from that adam and eve would have been giant people and and the idea that, that that they like uh, that humanity as a whole has just gradually shrunk over time, right? So, like, in the Bible and stuff, there's, you know, a lot of uh, uh, allusions to the idea that, like, you know, in the times of yore, like, like you know, uh, uh, in the pre-flood era, basically, or whatever, humans lived to be, like, hundreds of years old. And that was just the norm. Right. And then our lifespans have slowly, gradually shortened over time until we, until we're, you know, at our current lifespan. And our bodies have also shortened over time until we're at our current height. And I think there's also kind of another thing where it's like we, we've slowly become less intelligent as well over time. And so it's like – so it's like we used to be these giant hyper-intelligent like people who lived for hundreds of years and now we're – now look at us. Look how far we've fallen. Well, we know about human jaw shrinkage. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> human jaw shrinkage. <laughs> uh, this is um, – as humans civilized themselves, our jaws have gotten smaller – because we've spent less time like chewing on like just fibrous seeds, huh? Which was very, uh, very strengthening of the jaw muscles and like enlarging of them. Which is like one of the reasons why like our wisdom teeth are too big. Oh, interesting. Or, or don't fit in the mouth rather, because like our jaws have gotten smaller. As far as I can tell, it wasn't like a um, evolution. It was actually just uh, a, a change in our behavior. Interesting. So. We should start eating bigger, harder things if we want to get our jaws back. Yeah, if, if we if we want our uh, wisdom teeth to fit again, yes. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. What do you guys think about giant ancient people? It's about si- time someone brought the truth to light. <laughs> I'm really into the idea of conspiracy theories that um, have no bearing on anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's it's beautiful. It's it's way better than hearing about modern conspiracy theories that are actually like harming people yeah on my kindle i get like targeted ads and they're a lot of times for vanity published books like self-published books and one of them was for a book called one big ball that appeared to be a conspiracy theory book about how the earth is larger than they're telling us (laughs) and (laughs) i was just refreshed because i was like well this isn't gonna no one's gonna break into into a building and over this and no one's going to, like, demand to see, like, the basement of the pizza delivery place. <laughs> yeah. Politicians aren't hiding this in their in their underground dwellings. Right. Although, back in the uh, in, in medieval Europe, people would have fought wars over this kind of stuff. Like, there's, there are wars fought over very arcane points about the nature of... of yeah, but we're better than that now. Yeah. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're fighting over real stuff. For right? sure. Yeah, the the idea of like like these like these kinds of conspiracies that are like okay, like considering that would be that is true, like 
what does it change about the world? <laughs> like it, it kind of, it kind of reminds me of like it's, it feels like it's in the same sort of vein as like people who think that the uh, like plateaus are giant tree stumps. Are you familiar with this one? No, I haven't heard that one. Oh yeah, like like there's people who think that like uh, uh, the desert, like you know, if you go out into the in the American desert and there's giant plateaus and stuff like that, people will look at those and they're like, that looks kind of like a giant tree stump. And then they immediately jump to, I bet that's a giant tree stump and someone's trying to cover it up. And I'm like, what, 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 why? Why? <laughs> I, I Honestly, I feel like these two things might actually be connected. Like the idea that humans used to be giant and there used to be giants on the world. Like, like uh, uh, you know, another, another thing that comes up in like uh, Christian mythology is like the Nephilim, which were like the angel. I think it's the angels like – came down and were supposed to look after humanity, but instead they started breeding with humans and then they gave birth to a race of giants called Nephilim. In the in the in Genesis, uh it's pretty clear that the Nephilim this is all mentioned in one paragraph as far as I remember, and it's pretty clear that the Nephilim are different from the offspring of the angels and men. And in the I think it's the Zohar in the Jewish mystical supplementary text to the Bible, it is revealed that the Nephilim are giants. So I wonder if this idea yeah. came with and, and that's right around the time also when God declares that men can only live to 120 years. He's like, people are mm-hmm. living too long. 120 years, no longer. The thing, the thing that really kind of fascinates me about all this sort of stuff is that like, well, OK, I'm not personally very religious, but I wish that people like, but I like the lore, right? And oh, yeah, I kind of just fun. wish that people would treat it like fan fiction <laughs> you know just like like and i mean kind of pe- people th- that that's kind of what, what this stuff started as right is um it started as yahweh fan fiction yeah like like i feel like that's like what a lot of like very early like religious texts were basically as like church establishment there you know the sort of organized religion eventually got to a point where it's like okay okay we need to figure this out <laughs> we need to figure <laughs> out like what's what's actually true about this mythos and what's not and so they just kind of like gathered all the priests together and picked and chose like okay i think we're going to believe this they, they, yeah they agreed on which gospels were yeah were plausible Exactly. But like before that, it was like, okay, all this stuff happened and just everyone was just like making, I mean, I mean, I I, personally, I kind of think it's all made up, but like, you know, just kind of like willy nilly throwing stuff at the wall, doing fan fiction, just, just for fun, for funsies. And then, uh, and then people got way too into it and started believing it and having wars over it and stuff. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I get the impression like, and I could be off base here, but I get the impression that like, the people who wrote the Gospels were like, especially the ones who knew Jesus, mm-hmm. were really into Jesus, like as a person and as like a, a source of wisdom. Yeah, I get that feeling too. There's a feeling about Paul who didn't really know Jesus also as being just super into Jesus. Right. I also kind of think like what, like if a Jesus type person were to arrive today, how would you know? Like everyone's <laughs> lying. <laughs> like, so you know how... We used to have like three musical geniuses. There was like Beethoven right. and Bach and Mozart, and that was yeah. that was all they had. Yeah, yes. And they were special because they were the only people in the world with like the training and the free time to make that kind of music. Whereas nowadays, like I would guess that like there are thousands of people in the world who have the training and the free time to make that kind of music, and they have been. Which means that none of them seem like a Mozart like figure because they're not singular 
Right. Uh, and I, th- I think similarly, like we're probably seeing thousands of, of people with who are the moral equivalent of Jesus and none of them seem very special to us because they're just like people who are pretty, you know, philosophically interesting and, and ethically interesting and smart. And yeah, but it's not like the only person like that you've ever heard of. Right. Right. That point reminds me of something that, uh, a, uh, I heard a Yale historian once say, which was something along the lines of like, if I can name all of the smartest people in a society, oh, yeah. that means the society is, is in trouble. Right. <laughs> like there was a time where the learned bead was the, was the smartest person in all of Europe. And that meant that Europe was in trouble because that meant you can like identify the one guy that's the smartest or that right, has, yeah. the, or, or I guess it's a, it's a better way that you put it that has the, the resources and the, and the time to, to uh, live up to his potential as a smart guy. Right. Yeah. It, but this is also how like cults get started. <laughs> it's right. true. Um, and I've no, I've known people like that who were like drew that kind of following, and they didn't go in a culty direction with it, but like totally could have if they want, if that was like their inclination. Mm. Yeah, I think I've known it. I've known one person in the world who had uh, a charisma superpower, where if he had uh, gotten it together a little bit more, could have had himself a nice, a nice cult. <laughs> right. Hey, you just gotta get yourself a nice cult, settle down, and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> And have a thousand babies. Yep. Get yourself four or five wives. Get yourself some guys with guns. <laughs> nice spot of land out in the out in the rural California. I mean, it does have a certain charm to it. <laughs> <laughs> While I was looking up uh, Adam Giant stuff, I f- uh, just this Wikipedia page popped up in the search results, which caught my eye. Which is Adam Rayner was the only person in recorded history to have been both a dwarf and a giant. What? Whoa. What? Uh, so, tell, tell us more about this guy. So, the Wikipedia page is pretty short, and I'm not really interested in diving into the sources at the moment, but uh, apparently, uh, as a child, he was very small and thin and weak. At age 18, he measured four, four and four foot and a quarter of an inch, uh, and then uh, several years later, he got a tumor that oh. gave him a growth spurt. <laughs> By the time he died uh, in 1950, when he was 51 years old, uh, he was seven foot eight inches tall. So, did he keep like aging over his entire, or rather, growing over his entire life? N- let me see. I, they they removed the tumor, uh, I think, eventually. Okay. I don't know if it's if he stopped growing after they removed it or not. Uh, but yeah, a, a, so he was very small until he was 18 or so, and then. Uh, was to say between his early twenties to thirties, he gained an average of three inches per year, and by the time he was thirty-three, he was seven foot two inches. So, oh, what a breadth of experience, right? Yeah, I guess every every really tall person has been really short at one point, though. Well, but not not for that long. Like that's, not that's not true. long enough to not long enough to get used to a certain lifestyle of being a small person, and then you know understanding how to navigate through the world in that body, right? And with like an an adult observation and consciousness, yeah, right. You'd, exactly. you'd form a sense of yourself, I imagine, as a as a as a little person, and then suddenly you would be the biggest person ever, right? Yeah. Wow, it's a real like a monkey paw kind of wish where you're like, I want to be taller. And they're like, all right, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be freakishly tall now. Yeah. Uh, he lived longer than I expected. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I know gigantism is usually like, usually kind of a, a, a sort of early death sentence. 
I mean, people only lived up until they they were like 25 back then anyway. So. <laughs> 18-year-olds having their, uh, having their um, c- cigarettes and gin lunches, harassing their secretaries and then dying in their 30s. Uh-huh. The whole cast of Mad Men is supposed to be like 17. All the tweens. <laughs> it's all the chain smoking. Yeah, and the, and the drinking margaritas. What the hell did people drink back then? How come I can't think of it? You know, with an olive in it. I don't drink, so I'm I'm a little at it. I think a margarita has an olive in it, uh, right? Olive juice. Yeah, all the all all the fucking olive juice people drank back then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the margarita has the salt. Uh, I think it's. I think the martini has the olive. Martini. There we are. They, they both start with M A R. That's true. Why they're the same drink. That's right. Picturing members of the Rat Pack trying to imagine <laughs> what, what they were drinking. Are we ready for another topic? I'm ready. Me prepare Every myself. Okay, I'm. Oh, go ahead. Whenever you're ready, I'll let you know. You can go ahead and discuss Heathcliff. <laughs> well, you've ruined it by saying what it is. All right, fine. Let's just discuss Heathcliff. So, in 1971, a comic uh, called Heathcliff was created by two brothers. That recently? Wow. I thought this was ancient, like Nancy. Yeah, Tariq, were you and I talking about Nancy recently? We were, because I was discussing the previous episode of Topic Lords that I was on where we discussed Nancy. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's a Topic Lords <laughs> Aurora Boros. Yeah, no. It, it, I, I also thought it was much older, but it, it is actually from 1971. It was two brothers. They are two. There, there were a set of three brothers. Uh, the youngest brother went on to become a lawyer. The two older brothers became comic artists, became cartoonists created Heathcliff and are presumably lived to be are like incredibly rich now because of how uh, everybody loves Heathcliff. Um, and then in the early 2000s, their nephew, the son of the brother who became a lawyer, took over Heathcliff. And slowly Heathcliff seems to have gone from being like Garfield, except that Garfield is a pretty obvious ripoff of Heathcliff. Garfield came after Heathcliff. So for those of you that don't know who are listening, Heathcliff is a an a fat orange cat and all of the jokes are about how Heathcliff is fat and orange. But also Heathcliff is like a, a bad boy, like lives in a junkyard sometimes, but also sometimes lives with this elderly couple that also have a child for some reason. Whereas Garfield uh, lives with John Arbuckle and Odie the dog. You said they have a they have a child for some reason, as though like an old couple just can't just have a child. Well, it would be harder for an old couple. <laughs> maybe they adopted it, or maybe his parents are dead and they're raising him maybe there's a really dark backstory that's a kind of adoption but it, they're like definitely elderly they're like white-haired the husband is is has very little hair left and there's little wisps of white hair and he's got a white mustache and the wife is like picture car- cartoon old woman um and that's and then you've got you've got the couple that owns Heathcliff but then also they have a small child and guy who's doing who's who's creating now seems to have slowly made Heathcliff get more and more uh abstract I guess it's it's hard to put into words what Heathcliff is now um and I'm realizing as I'm talking about this that a podcast might not be the best medium for that's okay we we live for like described things that remember that whole (laughs) like year when we did music videos yeah And I remember doing that and thinking, well, this isn't the right medium for doing this. <laughs> All right. So mine, a mutual friend of, of Tyreek and mine, sent over a group chat 
one day uh, a single panel. So Heathcliff is a single panel comic. And the caption was just, apparently Heathcliff is still going. And <laughs> and the, uh, the, the, the comic was, there is a, presumably a butcher shop. And the butcher shop just has the word meat printed above it. They're just a sign that says meat. And then there are two guys in white aprons, presumably the butchers, standing outside of the butcher shop. And Heathcliff, who again is an orange cat, not unlike Garfield, uh, is strutting down the street with sort of a self-satisfied look on his face. And next to him is kind of a 1950s robot that's a little bit taller than the building, sort of a humanoid robot. And the robot has the word meat printed on its chest and... The one, the one butcher is saying to the other butcher, the meat robot was once only a dream. And that is the entire comic. <laughs> wow. And this sent me on like just days of looking at Heathcliff and trying to decide whether or not this is being done on purpose or if it's like a cynical thing where, where it doesn't make any sense and the guy doesn't care anymore. And then I read interviews with him and like he's doing this on purpose and it seems like he's doing it it seems like part 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 of what he's doing is like responding to the internet like it took him 10 years to kind of work his own humor he says into the comic because it's really hard because the comic's been around since the 70s it's an interesting thing that he said is that when you do a daily comic uh you have to kind of be predictable because people read come i don't even know if anyone reads comics every day anymore but like people who did at one point read comics every day they part of what they look for is repetition and part of it is like something new but like if you just totally changed the thing then the people who've been reading it for 30 years will, will not come back to it yeah i wonder like i feel like if the, the kind of people who make like classical newspaper comics they have to be catering to the kind of people who still read newspapers yeah I feel like Heathcliff is slightly catering to the internet because the fact that these thing that these single panels don't seem to make a lot of sense have made them into things that people share on the internet because people are like, what the hell's going on here? Right. Am I not getting something? Does this not make any sense? And Nancy that you guys talked about earlier, I guess I say it like I listened to this, but I I haven't heard this yet. (laughs) Or like I used to be really fascinated with Zippy, the pinhead, because that's by Bill Griffith, because that's like, a, a legit underground counterculture thing that somehow made it into syndicated comics and it was weird and like zippy is an unsettling looking character and like it was in syndicated comics for a long time it's not he lost the syndication recently but or like in the last 10 years but uh uh but most comics like a lot of sunday comics go back like a hundred years like popeye is still yeah. going it is that's wild yeah that is nuts it's like it's like it, it was like if we still used Roman coins or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> if we still had Latin on our currency for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If we still had Latin on our currency, like crazy people. But anyway, these Heathcliff comics are like, <laughs> there's these reoccurring themes in them that I've discovered. One is helmets. Heathcliff wears helmets. Also, fascinatingly, Garfield makes appearances in Heathcliff. Like, I don't know how this is possible without getting sued. <laughs> So, okay, I, I, I actually just, I've been like kind of like looking at, up some Heathcliff comics and I just found one where there's an old lady like inside a house and an old, and a little kid inside a house and they're looking out of a window, looking out of the house and they have mustaches, both of them. And there's a squirrel on a fence next to the house that has a mustache and there's a bird on the ground next to the fence that has a mustache and Heathcliff, Heathcliff is walking like away from the house down a little little paved sort of walkway and he also has a mustache and the caption is i hate mustache mondays 
And I'm like, this this has to be like just a, a Garfield reference. But you know what he loves is mustache lasagna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mustache lasagna sounds... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a, 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 a mustache lasagna... It, it kind of makes me think of like a lasagna mustache is just like a milk mustache when you've just been like eating eating lasagna too too much. <laughs> That's good, and yeah. You just have, and you just have it all around your mouth. That's much better than what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm glad I cleaned that image up for you. <laughs> uh, the one that Avery just pasted was... Um, Garfield meeting Heathcliff, Heathcliff on the sidewalk, and they're just kind of staring each other down. And then a bird nearby says, "It just got real." Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's. The, I'm pretty sure that's as close as he can come to say to, to writing shit just got real. I guess you're right. Yeah, and there's a bunch with Garfield in them that I like. I again, I don't know why. How it? I guess if it's a, it, you get covered under satire law or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's also possible that uh, newspaper comic artists all know each other. That's true. Yeah, maybe the the long simmering Heathcliff Garfield rivalry has been put to bed now that uh, now that the original creators of Heathcliff are no longer on the comic. Right. Here's one that I just posted for you guys that has there are two birds sitting in a tree. Heathcliff is walking by, and the birds are each wearing a helmet that says "bird" on it, and Heathcliff is well wearing a helmet that says "cat," and he's holding a shield that says "cat." And then one of the birds is saying to the other, wait, we need shields now, too? <laughs> it's just like... Right. Yeah. So this is calling back... To, we've actually talked about the Heathcliff helmet phenomenon on the show. But just to reiterate, like this is a recurring thing where Heathcliff will be wearing a helmet that is like representing what he's like mentally going into battle for, like his team. Yeah, I guess that's it. Like, here's one that you just pasted that... uh is Heathcliff holding an artist's palette and paintbrushes, walking up to a blank easel, wearing a helmet that says nudes, which is very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess one of the things I want to ask you guys about is, is this funny? Especially like... You know, I don't, I don't demand humor <laughs> from media. I am perfectly happy to just like gawp at something and be like, am- be amazed instead. That's fine. If if one of these Heathcliff, Heathcliff comics like gives me some insight into human nature, that's I'll take that too. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting as well. Like looking through some of these is like none of them have made me like laugh really, but I'm just kind of intrigued by them, <laughs> yeah. and I am glad they exist. <laughs> one way to read this is it's just cynical. Like if he just makes things that that seem like they don't make any sense or that just almost make sense, that it's going to get shared on the internet. Well, I I I've, I see some that are definitely jokes that are absolutely jokes. I'm, I'm looking at one right now where uh, Heathcliff is uh, standing on a scale and he has an enormous hat on, and the like the subtitle is he likes to blame it on the hat, with the implication that he's sure, overweight yeah. and is and is preferring to blame his weight on his enormous hat. I'm like, that's a joke. I understand it. I. Like, I appreciate it, but that's kind of a normal joke. Like, I understand it. And so in that sense, I find it less entertaining than the things that are just absolutely baffling. <laughs> what, so what what this needs to fix it is just a word on the hat. Right. <laughs> I, I don't Wait. know what word. Yeah, yeah. Or just like like uh like you see like in in cartoons when they have like an anvil or something that has the amount that it weighs on it like twenty kg I don't know how much a kg is or whether right. that's a reasonable weight for an anvil uh, 
probably. This one I think is genuinely like something is going on here, which is there are two old men reading a paper, reading a paper together on a bench. And they're both they're both reading the comics section of the paper and laughing. And there are two birds watching them. And one bird is saying to the other, Heathcliff is wearing a ham helmet. (laughs) Yeah. And also they're they're old, like they're old, they're old men. So it's also a a comment about who reads papers, I think. Right. And also who likes Dadaist humor? (laughs) Yeah. I I have a kind of a question. Is this format a Heathcliff thing in terms of every single joke, for the most part, is two people talking to each other and explaining what they're looking at? (laughs) Yeah, I've noticed that (laughs) too. Two people or animals are are, are just like, like precisely next to each other. And one of them is saying to the other person, the the caption beneath the comic, is this a format unique to Heathcliff? Or is this like just a whole comic thing? Heathcliff doesn't talk. So someone has to be saying something about But you can just have the caption. Like, I feel like there's other comics that just have the caption, right? That yeah. don't have that don't have to like frame it sort of like uh, diegetically. <laughs> I'm looking at old Heathcliffs to see if it's always one character explaining to the other. But I'm just gonna send this one to you. But there's a lot where people are actually talking directly to Heathcliff. But you're right. Like every single one of these new ones is something is happening, and then there are, are two side characters explaining what's going on to each other. This is an older Heathcliff that I think was created by not by uh, the current guy who's doing it and there's a kid talking to Heathcliff and it it looks like Heathcliff has Heathcliff has come up to a lady cat's house I guess this is the house where she lives with a bunch of roses and she's smashed the roses onto his head and he's walking away and you see as he's walking away that uh uh he's wearing a shirt that says in heat (laughs) and yeah the boy is helpfully Telling him that maybe his shirt has um, has ruined his 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 date. Yeah, this definitely looks like an older one because it's in a it's in sort of a different style, and it's also the first one I've seen where someone is directly addressing Heathcliff. There was one earlier that I described, and I left off the caption because I thought it was just gilding the lily. And I think this one's the same. Like it doesn't need the caption. Yeah, it doesn't totally. need the little kid explaining the situation to Heathcliff. It's obviously the shirt. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you could get rid of the kid, and it would probably even be funnier that way. Yeah, it's uh, it it it's this one. This one does not trust the audience, whereas the other ones do kind of trust the audience. Like there, there's one that I can't find that I really like, where Heathcliff is sitting next to a blank, sitting next to a canvas on on his front lawn, and he's wearing a helmet that says painting, and the painting says the word helmet on it. <laughs> Yeah, and there are two birds, and one of the birds is sa- says to the, is saying to the other bird, "He gets you while you're pondering," which like that kind of stuff that does sort of trust the audience to find the joke there. One of the birds says to the other, "Christ, what an asshole!" <laughs> or like, am I trying to find meaning in this in the same way that people just try to find meaning in a meaningless universe? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you read the Bible because you're trying to glean life lessons and philosophy from these stories. From stories that people were telling each other 2,000 years ago. Right. You could read Heathcliff. Actually, that's a great point. 2,000 years from now, maybe Heathcliff will be our equivalent. And people will read read about the helmets and 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 ascribe deep meaning to them. I feel like it'll be like, like it'll be equivalent to the Tao Te Ching or something like that, where it's where it's aphorisms and people spend a lot of it'll be it'll be like uh, philosophical investigations by Wittgenstein. 
Yeah, Heathcliff is going to be one of the Gospels that they're like, no, that doesn't count. That doesn't go in the Bible. Are you familiar with uh, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play? Yes. I haven't seen it, but I want to. I'm not, I've never really been a play-going person. Tell us about this play. Uh, But Mr. Burns, a post-electric play is apparently a play. Well, it is a play, but it's apparently, again, I haven't seen it. Apparently it's about a sort of... An episode of The Simpsons that becomes basically like sort of a myth for people in the post-apocalypse. Survivors of the apocalypse are telling each other about this one specific episode of The Simpsons. And then the next like act of the play is like years later when the story has evolved more uh, uh, and they're like, like a different group of people is like recounting it, or I think it's the same group of people or something is recounting it again. And then like the third act is like several decades later, it's like become part of just the, 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 the culture at this point. Uh, this, this, this thing that started as just an ep- like friends telling each other an episode of the Simpsons. Uh, and it sounds really interesting. And I want to see this play at some point. I mean, it's kind of going back to what we were kind of talking about before, where it's just like fan fiction becoming like the thing that people believe and nobody remembering where it originated from because it's just a part of the culture now, you know? The Iliad and the Odyssey are, are probably even closer in analogs to that than, than the Bible mm-hmm. because they're a single story. Like the Bible is a collection of stuff, whereas the Iliad and the Odyssey are two single through stories. And it's clear that we know from historical records that it used to be the case that the people would recite the Iliad and the Odyssey to each other. There used to be a job called a rhapsode. A rhapsode would uh, sort of sing and act out the Odyssey and the Iliad. And um, in Athens, they would have contests every year for the for the best rhapsode. Uh, and then eventually, when alphabetic writing came to Greece, people began writing these things down. Uh, and the reason there is so much repetition, like, I don't know if you've ever read these, but like, characters are often described as like Hector is often described as Hector of the shining helmet. Uh, and it's because the repetition is built in there to help people. Um, uh, or at least it's thought the repetition is in there, like, like a chorus in a song or something to help people have something, have mnemonic devices to remember stuff by. I had no idea. Hector, the booty inspector. <laughs> uh, it kind of reminds me of, of sort of like, uh, the idea that like, there was there used to be like more improvisation in classical music and that sort of thing but then once it became a, like once music became recordable and people got like records and started putting things basically like setting them in stone in vinyl the recorded versions became the correct versions and yeah. a lot of the uh a lot of the the improvisation virtuoso uh, uh classical sort of musicians used to in insert into the music when people were learning music, they just learned it from the way that it was instead of learning, you know, how to how to do that sort of thing. And so now it's just like, okay, there's the right way to play it. Yeah, that's got to be weird for, for like a touring musician playing the same song every day. You probably want to evolve it. You know, right. you think of a better, like, oh, I could think of a better thing to go here in this part. But no, you, this thing was set in stone like a week after you wrote it. Right. I mean, but the, but the, the, the thing about the Odyssey, like that makes me... I never know. I never knew that, and so it kind of makes me wonder, like, what kind of improvisational sort of twists and flourishes, like, what areas of the story would have had the leeway for that kind of thing that we just don't know about anymore, you know? Yep. Because we have the one version that is the quote-unquote correct version now, you know? Yeah. 
Like maybe, like maybe one of the chapters was just like do a solo here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> this, this, this. When, when, when uh, Odysseus goes to this island, freestyle, and then, and then go back to the story afterwards, you know. And then, like, we just don't, we just don't know, you know. Yeah, maybe there were lots of cyclopses. Well, I guess there were lots of cyclopses. Maybe the cyclopses had two eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were biclopses. <laughs> it, the Odyssey, especially, like that's that's episodic too. So it's, I bet you could remember it in chunks and then kind of improvise through through oh, the chunks man. of it. I I bet there were filler episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there were bottle episodes. <laughs> are, we, are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Uh, my topic is uh, I've heard a million novelty metal covers, but still nobody's done truly scrumptious slash doll on a music box from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, and this is a uh, I I'm sure I've seen this movie, but I just basically just remember this one song, and it's it's actually two songs, but uh, the it, it's it's like supposed to be uh, um, an interesting moment when the characters sing the two songs at once and they and they mesh. They go together. So we'll, we'll include a clip of it here. You cannot see scrumptious, how much though I may seem presumptuous. Never, never, ever go away. My heart beats so unruly. I, I think it would be really entertaining to hear this melody and the, these the, these lyrics performed by like a like a death metal band. That would be fantastic. And specifically, the uh, the two songs being layered together makes me think of like all the weird artsy shit that Tool does. <laughs> it would be a very Tool move to put like these two songs like on opposite <laughs> ends of the album, and then they would just wait. For the fans to discover, like, oh shit, when you play these two songs at once, they interlock. Is that a thing people do? Just like, randomly play two songs at the same time to see if they if they work? Oh, people do that I mean, all the time. Uh, I, I well, the, now nowadays there's mashup culture, which is basically that. Yeah, I guess so. But like, like Tool had that one album where like to get the optimal listening experience, you had to reorder the tracks based on the Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, some people are too smart for their own good. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. Their fans found out. They figured it out. Like, so they they, they found their audience. So, like, is, is their entire music is just like an, an ARG? <laughs> no. Where they just, like, put, they, put puzzles into, into random places and then see if people find them? They also had to make music people liked before they cared enough to do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or did they? <laughs> Maybe if you go back in time to before they made music that everybody liked, that's where you find the true key to all the rest of their music. And you play them all at the same time. <laughs> right. And, and it makes the best album ever. There's that Flaming Lips album that's supposed to be, it's like four CDs and they're supposed to all be played at once. And no one's ever bothered. <laughs> <laughs> apparently they're oh. not, a, apparently not as many... As many Flaming Lips fans have bo have bothered to do that as Tool fans have bothered to discover 
that you need to play the tracks <laughs> according to the Fibonacci sequence. I assume they left clues to like indicate that that was a thing, and I that mean, people weren't just randomly like being like, "Hey, what if I reorder these songs in the Fibonacci sequence?" There has to be like some kind of like audio clue somewhere where so it's there like, were, like I, I've heard this album, and there were a couple of clues, and one is that um, the Fibonacci sequence is like also elsewhere on the record. Oh, okay, um, but also. The songs, like, they don't flow into each other naturally, like you would expect uh, from a, an album. I remember actually, like, the first time I, I didn't actually hear it, but I heard about this album was reading, I think it was, God, was it on Usenet? Was, was I still on Usenet when this album came out? Anyway, I saw a post of someone who found, like, a leak of the album and the tracks were not numbered. And uh, they put the songs together in an order that seemed to flow naturally to them. Uh. Uh, it turns out, oh, I, I was wrong about the track order, but it, but then like later on, it turns out like they were actually more right than they were like much closer to the uh, intended uh, reordering. Well, okay, so I'm also kind of just like going through my brain like how this works because the only thing I can think of is they just made like like the uh, track four is just a throwaway. <laughs> and, <laughs> and oh, you I have to play track one twice. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how you're supposed to do it. One, two, three, five, eight, thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like a lot. A lot of the album is just trash. You just ignore those songs. <laughs> Tyreek, you're younger than than Jim and I. Do you are you familiar with the concept of hidden tracks on albums? Yes. Yes, I am. Hadn't gone away by the time that you were uh, consuming music. No, they 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 do that on like 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 or not anymore, I guess, uh, because this is actually something that that I was thinking of like relatively recently because I was like listening to an album on Spotify and like there it was it was an album with a hidden track and I had forgotten about hidden tracks and so it was just the last track of the album with an enormous silence in it before the last last track started, right? And it was just like, wow, this really isn't like a relevant thing to do anymore because everybody just streams music, you know, yeah. and like everybody knows, like you can look at the at the little uh, uh, tracking bar and see how much time is left. And if you reach a weird silence, you can just fast forward. Like it, it, there's no secret to it anymore. There was a Tool album that the last song on it had like like ten minutes of silence, and if you let it play through to the to the ten minutes of silence, there were then a bunch of one second long tracks so that it skipped all the way to track 69 <laughs> and then and then this like hidden track where you hear somebody preaching about how carrots have souls is the is, <laughs> is the okay. last, is the <laughs> yeah. last track why not i wonder what that looks like on spotify i can't remember which album that was yeah i would imagine that they track listed that album for spotify i can't imagine they have like 60 like 60 empty tracks and one track that's just 10 minutes of silence but but similarly like a lot of rap albums have skits on them i don't know if this is still true because who listens to albums now and the skits would be like sometimes they'd be their own track or sometimes they'd be attached to the beginning or the end of a song and i remember like ripping these albums uh to mp3 and like what do i do with this stuff like, you I, listen to it. It's part of the album. Yeah, well, but what if I'm listening to this one track by itself? It, like, starts in the middle of a conversation or something like that? Uh, usually it would it'd just be, like, is a song and then, oh, here's a conversation. Right. Usually it's, like, at, at all in on at the beginning or the end. But, yeah, I, I thought it was awkward. A, f a friend of mine who is much younger than I am 
has never listened to Nirvana. And so like a, a cool person that I am, I uh, <laughs> unbiddedly made a mix of Nirvana for her. And I found that the MTV Unplugged album that's up on Spotify doesn't have any of the uh, like interstitial mic breaks, which was disappointing oh. to me. <laughs> Because there's there's one important one where there are other the meat puppets another band comes up and plays several songs like takes over the spots for Nirvana and you wouldn't know it because Kurt Cobain still sings but like without that you don't know that um, that actually these three tracks are performed by other musicians I didn't know that was the case yeah the the all of the meat puppets covers on there the meat puppets are actually performing performing those songs which is pretty cool of. Kurt Cobain to do like they were a relatively unknown band yeah, especially right before he dies and so that thing is is played like every day yes 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 yeah pretty cool of him to <laughs> pretty cool of him to die <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly how I'm gonna boost the meat puppets rep <laughs> finally get get my favorite band some of the much much deserved credit that they need that they require <laughs> this chitty chitty bang bang thing reminds me of uh, the the time that I worked on a on a song for a musical, one of my more successful music friends, who is uh, very close with someone who's very close with uh, or was until recently very close with Neil Gaiman. This successful music friend was staying at my apartment in Daly City, where me and um, Stevie, who's been on the show before, and another bandmate of ours lived when we were all in a band together. And uh, this friend of ours was on tour. And he was was staying at the apartment and he began to explain how he had been roped into writing a song for a musical uh, for a Neil Gaiman book. That's also a movie that I have never that I've neither to this day, neither read nor seen the seen the movie. And um, he was explaining that at first he was approached by some company about it, by some producers. And he was like, let me think about it. You should ask my one of my creative partners who's actually much closer to Neil Gaiman. And they asked her, this creative partner, and when talking to this creative partner, they said, if the musical is successful, you get 2% off the top of any sales for this thing. And so this creative partner of his immediately agreed <laughs> because that's a, yeah. that's a crap ton of money. And so he was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, we'll help you. And like before I knew it, like uh, me and this guy were up till four in the morning with like a pump organ because I had a pump organ. We didn't really have any other large composery type of instruments attempting to compose i mean he was like he was like okay my i've got to write a song where the main character has been like the main character who's a shooting star has been turned into a rat or something and like he is just realizing that he's fallen in love with this person and this person's name is tristrand and so now we have to <laughs> it was just like this great thing because i had no idea what any of like this was all gibberish to me and i was like all right, all right what does tristrand rhyme with uh, uh, pastry tin. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was great because I've always wanted to be like, uh, like a tin pan alley kind of work at the Brill Building kind of guy, where like you got like your songwriter partner and a piano, and everyone's smoking cigarettes, and somebody comes into your office and is like, "All right, we need three songs about love by by five o'clock," and then like leaves, and then you're like, "Okay, all right. I don't know what either of those phrases mean." Tin pan alley and work at the Brill Factory. Brill Building. <laughs> Brill Building. You you don't know about the Brill Building? What's the Brill Building? That was a total joke. Uh, it was a, <laughs> it was like a songwriting factory in like the forties in in New York City, I think. Yeah, in New York. Oh, and it was really like you'd have an office and a piano. And it was just like full of people writing songs, and you could write song. You'd write songs for movies or like 
for advertisements or whatever. These people were, I believe, just on salary. Yeah. Like they were all just like paid to come in nine to five and write music, uh, which is extremely different from how basically all music is written these days. <laughs> yeah. Unless you work on video games. Right. Or movies, I assume. I think even there, there's more like a contract thing, work from home deal. Oh, yeah. Like as opposed to like a steady gig. Yeah, maybe TV. I'm not sure. I feel like TV TV shows usually just like reuse a bunch of music though. Like they have like themes that they probably wrote for like, okay, this is the mysterious theme. This is the theme for this character. And then once they're all done, it's like, all right, we don't really need new music on a per episode basis. That's I think that's often true. But I wonder, like I think some shows do, like it depends on the production quality of the show. But yeah. I think some shows do like employ a composer to like write incidental music for each episode. I could see that for like like HBO type sort of Game of Thrones or whatever, where it's like, all right, this is a high budget thing. We're, we're spending right. a ton of money on this, and some of the money is going to mu- going to uh, music and such. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Tin Pan Alley, like I, I, I just think of it as a genre of music, but it was from like the early twentieth century, right? Like it was the kind of music that you would hear performed on. Uh, Oh, I can't even remember the name of. Okay, Avery, you take over this because I'm I'm blanking. I'm <laughs> blanking on nouns. Uh, yeah, you'd hear like Tin Pan Alley music on American Bandstand and um on the vaudeville circuit. And vaudeville stuff. is the was the word I was trying to think of. Yeah, again, the idea Tyreek of explaining to a young thirty something person about like. <laughs> well, this this shit was before our time too. I was gonna say, like, like I don't know why why I would have known any of this, <laughs> like even as even if I was a decade old. Well, yeah, the only reason I know about stuff like that, I don't know what Jim's problem is. The reason I know about stuff like this is because <laughs> I wear a fedora. I mean, I know about things because I'm a huge nerd. So, like, that's that's my excuse. <laughs> well, I, I like I like that kind of songwriting too. Yeah, I, there's just a, there's always been something like romantic to me about like whenever I've been commissioned to make music which is not very frequently but i have uh i always find it a lot easier than they're just like it's just easier to make a song when i don't have any emotional connection to it you just approach it as a math problem yeah like i got i got higher yeah because that's that makes the best music is just (laughs) that makes the best music (laughs) the best relationships the best friendships you just approach everything like it's a spreadsheet (laughs) i was asked to write a bunch of music for a television show which got picked up for by the amc channel and then promptly destroyed (laughs) <laughs> all evidence of it is gone yeah yes uh they never they never want anyone to see that but like i that, that was that was great i wrote like five songs for it and it was just pretty pretty easy because the, the idea was already there and then i just had to write a song around an idea that i didn't have a lot of emotional baggage for yeah are we uh ready for another topic let's do it for this topic we're going to be reading the poem the phone call by james tate who would like to read this poem I guess I will. I feel like every episode I'm on, I read the poem. Right. It's also because you are the one who has a poem every episode. All right. Let me, let me get. Give it another couple. Give it another couple. (laughs) I'm going to read it like that. The phone call. The phone call. I sat on the steps for a very long time. No one passed. No cars went by. It was as if the world had stopped. Then the mailman walked by. I was so happy to see him, I nearly jumped out of my pants. Hi, I shouted to him. Hello, he answered back. How are you today? I said. I'm just fine. How are you? He said. Well, I was a bit lonely until I saw you, I said. There's no reason to be lonely. There's all the world to keep you company, he said. I guess you're right, I said, as he disappeared down the block. Then school got out, and the streets were flooded with youngsters. They were sweet and friendly. A while later, work ended and the grown-ups came home. They were exhausted and not so friendly, but 
Still, they reminded me that there was a world out there. I sat on the steps all that time, thinking about what a funny place we live in. Then I got up and went in the house. I had lost my job at the oil refinery and was waiting to hear from several other companies. I had some savings and wasn't too worried. Jack called and asked if I wanted to go hunting tomorrow. I said, I'd like to, but I had other plans. Then Betsy called and asked if I wanted to go drinking tonight. I said, that sounded great, but I just couldn't. I waited for the phone to ring after that. But there was nothing. I played some crossword puzzles, then watched television, and fell asleep on the couch. I woke up in the morning feeling achy and lost. I wasn't sure where I was. Took me a few minutes to figure it out. I was home, as always. I shaved and ate breakfast. My mother called, and I said I was just fine. It was a lie, of course, but the truth would hurt her more. I wanted to go for a walk, but I was afraid of missing a phone call. Finally, the phone rang. The voice said, Hello. My name is Mark Smith, and I'd like to offer you a job as president of Prudential Bank, the largest bank in America. Are you interested? Well, yes, but why me? I said. We want someone with no experience and no ideas about banking, and you seemed ideal, he said. Why would you want someone like that? I said. We want to kill him, he said. I don't think I'm interested, I said. It's a great salary, nice vacations, he said. No thanks, I said, feeling relieved and very lucky to be just where I am. That really goes in a lot of directions. Yeah. Murder does, like... The soul good. <laughs> it does have a lot of vacations because, like, once you kill the one guy, <laughs> like, you're done. And if you keep getting the salary, that's amazing. You Do you keep getting the salary after you're murdered? Oh, I... They didn't say when they were going to murder, they were going to kill him. They just said they're going to kill him. He might get, like, you know, a year. Then you get uh, you, then you get your salary once. Yeah, I assume it's like a. Um, I can't remember that. There's a ancient Greek tradition where like somebody gets to be king of the town for a year, and then they're sacrificed, and then there's a new king of town. I was um, listening to a another podcast recently, and they were talking about various uh, uh, like not Christmas, but like sort of wintertime Yuletide traditions across Europe. And apparently there was there were a lot of traditions that involved making somebody the king of town for a week and everybody like had to obey them. And then at the end of the week, they got sacrificed, uh, <laughs> which is, yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> There's that one where people wear uh, horse skulls and it looks terrifying. Do you see that? I mean, that sounds like a good time. <laughs> I feel like that poem, every time I, a question came up for me, like it was, I think it was a very well written poem because it it was like uh, maneuvering me into like it it knew when I had a question, like it knew when I was like, how old is the guy that's how old is the narrator? Like why is he watching people come home from work? And then immediately, like the next line was, I had been fired from the oil refinery, <laughs> which I think speaks to a very well constructed piece of writing. Yeah, it's been, it's been beta tested. <laughs> <laughs> I like poems and songs that mention people's names without bothering to explain who they are because it makes it feel like a, a bigger lived-in world i never thought about that but yeah that's that's cool it's in a lot of bob dylan songs and tom waits does that and i don't know why those are the only two coming to mind right now but because those are the only two musicians yeah this is like when like two superheroes are fighting a bunch of bad guys and then one turns to the other and says remember beirut and the other one just nods <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's like when, when superheroes are fighting and they're fighting a bunch of villains and then one of them is just like, it's the Scrambler from from issue 12. Yeah. He's back again. <laughs> I like the Scrambler. We should have known. It was all these eggs everywhere. <laughs> Delicious. These scrambled anagrams everywhere. The Scrambler. <laughs> the panels are all out of order. <laughs> 
Ah, that would be great. The Scramblers reached out into the real world and scrambled the comic book. I love when comics do meta stuff like that, like reaching through panels and like messing with characters in other panels and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like early Grant Morrison before he became full of himself. Ah, this is the danger of getting famous for a thing that you're actually good at. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I plan to get famous for things that I'm bad at. (laughs) (laughs) I just plan on never getting good at anything. Get famous for being bad at things. It's a good idea. It's a good way to go. I like the phrase, I was so excited that I almost jumped out of my pants. I don't think I've ever heard (laughs) that before. Also, how would you feel if you walked up to a complete stranger who said they were feeling lonely until you showed up? Would you be happy about that? I feel like I'd be a little freaked out. Well... Was it a stranger? It was the mailman. It was the mailman. And maybe they have a pre-existing relationship. I read it as the mailman is just trying to get along with his day and some random guy is like, he's feeling real down till you came. But then the mailman has like a line. So maybe this has happened before Or to just him. the mailman is a, is a fount of philosophy. <laughs> maybe he, uh, well, it doesn't say he delivered any letters. I was going to say maybe he delivered letters that would make him also feel less lonely, oh, yeah. but. He just left him with nothing, apparently. But yeah, like I like how just kind of like casual it is throughout throughout like most of it. And then it gets to the end and there's like a weird twist. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, describing a world, describing a day. Nothing's terrible, but also like, you know, it's not going super great. And then it gets to the end and it's like, all right, we're going to hire you because we want to kill you. <laughs> and it's like, that's that's just a twist that I didn't see coming, you know. In terms of just the entire mood of the thing. Yeah. It somehow to me fits with the mood. Like it fits with like. It it, it does because it stays casual in the tone. Yeah. Like just like, oh, no, thanks. You know, I'm not interested. But but even still, just like given the world building, I guess it's a it's still kind of like like, oh, that's not what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, given the world building, if you had read uh, the the previous um, The Silmarillion. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. The, the, uh, so, so this guy was working at the oil, oil refinery until uh, a giant spider came and stole the light of the uh, of the Silmarils. That's that's what caused the factory to shut down. Yeah, and then and then the, that's that's where the, the the now where the factory used to be is where they erected the dark towers. <laughs> is there a werewolf in the Silmarillion, or am I hallucinating? I listened to it all the way through once, and then I started using it as a bedtime story <laughs> to just lull me to sleep. Like your, your memory of werewolf might be you dreaming is the problem. I feel, I feel like there may have made, there may be a werewolf somewhere in there, but I, I'm like, like it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, okay, I like listen to it once just to get sort of an overview. Like, I'm not going to like become one of those people who can like name every character in the Lord of the Rings canon and their, their lineage. And you know, all <laughs> that sort of thing. It's just like, I, I like I like the, the the you know the phrasing and the prose and stuff, and then I'm just gonna kind of because there isn't really like a through line of a story. Like a lot of times, I'll, if I'm like listening to an audiobook or something, I will just fully not sleep because I'm so engrossed in it. But because this is it, just almost this uh, the Silmarillion is almost entirely just like world building and and uh, like explanations about stuff in sort of a kind of general way. It's very easy for me to like listen to it and then not feel bad about zoning out because I'm like, all right, this is you know, I'm just I'm just going to close my eyes for a while now. I remember reading like the Bible, yeah, to return to our. Um... The central topic of Topic Lords, which is the Bible, <laughs> just biblical scholarship. This is a very Christian podcast. Biblical exegesis. Ex-Jesus? <laughs> I, used to be, I, I used to be Jesus. Now I'm just an ex-Jesus. Jim, what does your mug say? Uh, in my profile picture? Yeah. 
It says, is this Frog Fractions 2? Great. <laughs> Great, good. And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is kind of kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. Uh, Avery, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, f- find me on Bandcamp. You know, I got a Bandcamp message from one of Topic Lords listener, and I never oh, responded. Nice. Yeah, and it was a very nice message, and it warmed my heart because it's very anonymous feeling having having my album out on Bandcamp. Yeah. So if you find me on Bandcamp under Avery Burke, uh, and you enjoy my album, and you send me uh, encouragement, I will receive it, I will feel encouraged, and I will never respond to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I occasionally get email from via the Topic Lords, like topiclords.com response form. So I'm getting an email from, like the the host the the fireside who hosts the podcast these are always just like lovely like fan your your show is improving my life sorts of emails but i can't respond to them because the email is not from the person like there's no contact information (laughs) oh man and i also like they're too personal to like read on the show yeah so i just don't know what to do with them yeah i used to have a cell phone that didn't tell me who was texting me in the very early days of text messages, you it was a charge service for the text messages. And the way they tried to entice you to um, pay for the service is that they would allow you to receive text messages, but they would not allow you to send text messages and they wouldn't allow you to see the recipient unless you paid. And so I would get text messages that were sometimes very personal that I had for the life of me had no idea who was sending them to me. <sighs> yeah, that's that's definitely like you you have to ask people to sign their messages yeah yeah uh and then i had one or two people that would use this use this feature of my phone to just mess with me yeah of course uh tyreek uh if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet as teased at the beginning of the show i will now tell you where to find me on the internet i am at Forbit friday on all the social media platforms that i'm on which is several of them and also, speaking of Bandcamp and feeling good about uh, getting compliments and stuff, uh, I also have an album over there, which is at the URL, errorwithanf.com. There you go. <laughs> is that error spelled with an F? Like, or, or is this another thing where, like, capital Fs look like R's? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the sentence error with an F is just the normal written sentence error with an F. I guess it's not a full sentence. Is it? A, is that a sentence or is it just like a part of a sentence? That's a full sentence. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's where you can find me. Please give me compliments too. I like it. Send um. Jim a lot of messages. <laughs> he can't see who you are and he can't respond. <laughs> Te- you know what? Confess. Confess your worst <laughs> crimes to Jim. It'll feel great. You'll get your. You'll get it off your chest. Jim cannot see who you are, and he cannot respond to you. <laughs> Confess your crimes, and then uh, he won't be able to do anything about it because uh, he doesn't know no who you are. It's anonymous. You just know that Jim, who you heard and who you like, and who has been a, a constant presence in your life because of the Topic Lords podcast, you'll just know that he is seeing these things that you've done, <laughs> these terrible things <laughs> that you don't want anyone else to know about. Don't look for my album. Send Jim the worst thing you've ever done. <laughs> oh my god all right i don't i don't i don't feel comfortable subscribing to that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'll get ready i'm ready for this (laughs) you think you're ready but you have no idea how depraved people can be especially the listeners of your show (laughs) yeah yeah they're a bunch of uh a bunch of uh uh, degenerates we all know freaks (laughs) listen up freaks 
<laughs> I'm sick of hearing your shit. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Uh-huh. Uh, thank, thank you for having us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!